We're in our series, Christ in All of Scripture, and we're seeing Christ in the Old Testament, and right now we are in the prophets. Um, yeah, yeah, give it up for the prophets. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we're in champs camp mode right now, and we're excited about the prophets, and uh, we're in the fourth of the minor prophets. Um, if you're counting, there is 12, and so this is, we're a third of the way through after this morning sermon. We've seen the steadfast love of God in Hosea, where he tells Hosea to go to his adulterous wife, go again, as that is what God has done with Israel. We've seen the God who sent the locust plague upon his own people in Joel for them to return to me, says the Lord. And last week we saw um, in Amos the God who demands his people worship with their life. And Amos gave us that great scripture, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream as the people of God express the love of God to one another and to their neighbor. And today we move to the book of Obadiah. Now some of you may be saying, is there a book called Obadiah? Yes, it is the fourth book of the Minor Prophets, and you may have never heard of this book. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It is one chapter, and it's only 21 verses long. It's overlooked often because of where it is in the Scripture. It's between Amos and well-known Jonah, but also its length. It is very, very short, but it's also an obscure book. And it takes some time to help us understand it. If you'll turn the, the, the lights up, our people can, can get to their, their, their book um, of Obadiah. It may take you a while, so I'm going to lead up before you get there. Um, but hopefully together, we'll hear what the Lord has to speak to us from the book of Obadiah. There's a lot going on, and I've got to kind of give you this picture of what is going on in this book before we start. Primarily, the book is an oracle about the coming judgment of a country or a people called Edom. If you turn to Obadiah in verse 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Now, Edom, it means red in Hebrew, and these are the descendants of Esau. You may have heard the story of the two brothers, Jacob and Esau. It begins with Isaac, the son of Abraham. He has a wife. Her name is Rebecca. She could not bear children, so Isaac goes to the Lord. And she becomes pregnant, and in her womb, she could feel this struggle happening inside of the womb. She was, under, she was having twins, but couldn't understand why they were fighting in her womb. And so she asked the Lord, what's going on in my womb? And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 25, 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. 
and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which means hairy. All right. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, the one who grabs at the heel. In the Hebrew, it's an idiom for one who is a deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So Edom are the descendants of the nation of Esau. Edom in Hebrew again means red. And his, the eldest son is red and hairy. Right? And so the story of Jacob and Esau, they struggle against one another to see who is going to be the first or the one who receives the birthright, the leader of the family, the firstborn, and the second for his blessing. So who will receive the firstborn birthright and who will receive the blessing from the father? Now, these are connected back to Abraham and the blessing of God upon him. Genesis 12, 2. I will make you a great nation. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this promise to Abraham is now passed on to Isaac. And now is passed on to either Esau or Jacob. But God has already clearly said to Rebekah that the older will serve the younger. That Jacob will be the one in the line of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God's people who is coming for the nations. So clearly God has chosen a nation to bless. And so that that nation will be a blessing to all nations. We know that that fulfillment is in Christ. The one who has blessed the nations with salvation. And Jacob who is the second born. God will choose to make the nation of Israel. Jacob's name changes to what? Israel. And he has 12 sons who will be the 12 tribes of Israel. God has a plan. Sometimes his plan isn't what we think his plan is. Now there's a, there's a lot of commentators that think, why, why did God choose Jacob over Esau? And one, one, of the, one of the thoughts is, is that just as Jesus is the second Adam, God chose Christ as the second Adam. The first Adam being Adam who fell in the garden. The second Adam not falling and living a perfect and sinless life and then giving his life on the cross. Amen? 
So God chose to show that he was going to be the second Adam, was going to be the promised one who gave the fulfillment of salvation for God's people. Amen? God doesn't make, uh, everything is pointing us to Christ. God doesn't make uh, mistakes in the Bible. Okay? And so, are you caught up yet? All right, I'm catching you up. So you know who Edom is. It's Esau, and he's struggling. There's this struggle, not only in the womb, but their whole life. Who will be blessed? Who will be the leader? In the story, Esau sells his birthright for some lentil stew because he's exhausted coming home from a journey of hunting wild game. He loses his blessing because Rebekah dresses Isaac up, putting on goat skins so that he will be hairy, and his father blesses Jacob instead of Esau. So just as God had said would happen, Jacob receives not only the birthright, but also the blessing from Isaac. So in the end, God chooses Jacob and not Esau as his people. Now, Jacob is not a perfect people. If you go back and read that story, you'll see that God uses imperfect people for his perfect plan. Amen? All of us are not perfect. But now Obadiah is seeing this struggle play out, and the descendants of Esau and God's people Israel are again in this struggle. We see the struggle of God's people and those against God's people. The struggle from the beginning is the seed of the woman who is the promised one and God's people and the seed of the serpent. Again, we see that playing out with Pharaoh, the seed of the serpent and God's people who are in bondage. The plan of God to bring about a savior of the world through his chosen people, Israel, and the enemy, the serpent's people trying to thwart God's plan. So the prophet Obadiah speaks to us this morning, reminding us that God will accomplish his plans even though it looks bleak. God will do what he has said he would do and bring his blessing to his people. And the, and the time that he says this will happen, he calls the day of the Lord. And so in this, in this passage in Obadiah, Israel has been destroyed. Jerusalem has been destroyed. But God gives hope to Jerusalem, even though Edom is prospering and Israel is made low. God gives a promise. Let's look at verse 15 together. And this is the promise of God. If you'll stand in reading of God's word in chapter 1 of Obadiah, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. And they shall drink and swallow. And they shall be as though they had never been. 
But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated here. So this struggle is now continuing between God's people, Jacob, Israel, and Esau. Those that are against God's people. Those that struggle against God's people. Representative of the nations. His brother. There's a children's book called The Moon is Always Round. It was inspired by the author's true story about their daughter who they lost. Her name was Layla. They call her Layla the Evangelist because of so many people who have been impacted by her life. In the book, they use an illustration to describe the goodness of God even when we can't see it. Jonathan Gibson, he's a seminary professor, he wrote the book and he, he would always look at the moon with his son as they were growing up and as they were driving to get to school or driving to work, he would observe what the moon looked like and before bedtime they would look out the window and they said, son, what does the moon look like? And Sometimes it looked real small and you could barely see it. And other days it looked like a banana. And the sun would say it looks like a banana. It was a crescent moon. And some days it looked full or it would look round. But even during the day when you couldn't see it, the dad would tell the sun, Sun, the moon is always round even if you can't see it. Even if it looks like it's a crescent-shaped sun, it doesn't change the fact that the moon is always round. And he said, just like God is always good, even when it doesn't look like it. This is the story of Obadiah. God's people, Israel, have been destroyed. The Babylonians have destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The city's walls have been torn down. The temple has been burned. The place where God dwelt among his people. The people, the leaders have been carried off to a far, far land of Babylon. And Edom, the rival people of Israel, is seeing prosperity. Where is the blessing of God? Is our God still good? Did he not promise to be with us? Edom, on the other hand, did not come to the help of Israel, but gloated upon them from afar for their suffering. How can this be? How can God allow his people to suffer when the enemies, those who have rejected God and his people, prosper? All is not right in the world. And Obadiah speaks in that context. 
And sometimes we can feel that today as the people of God and his church. Why does the wicked prosper? And sometimes the church does not. The church, the people of God do not. Why sometimes does it not look like God is good? Obadiah, much like Revelation, declares that one day that which is not right will be made right. Even though we can't see the goodness of God, he will bring about justice and righteousness as the prophet Amos told us last week. God will bring about the day of the Lord which he will make all things right. The day of the Lord is coming for all the nations in which God will judge the wicked and his people will be saved. There are some today who have suffered extreme losses in your life. You're going through extreme trials, maybe even sickness. And the God of the universe through the prophet Obadiah is reminding you through his word that he has not forgotten you. He is still good And his promises endure forever. Have faith that he is working. Even if you cannot see, he is working. Look at the gloomy day. Verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth. And foreigners enter his gates. And cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. Talking about Edom was like those who who captured Jerusalem. But Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. verse 10, he says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Talking about Edom. Edom has stood and pointed the finger at Israel and said, look at them, how wicked of a people. They deserve that. Edom has taken advantage of Israel And God says in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near among all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. This is point number one this morning. It's thus, God will make all things right. God will make all things right. Right. Do you believe that, church? The day is very gloomy. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Edom is seemingly blessed, prosperous. They're gloating. But there is a day coming that what you have done will return on your own head. You see, God is a God of justice. And he will repay evil for the evil that has been done to you. 
The day of the Lord here in which Obadiah talks about is talked about by most of the prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. And this day of the Lord is the coming judgment in which God will bring about salvation for his people through his judgment. It means that there is a certain time in history in which a nation will be judged for their actions, which will bring about salvation for his people. Just think about Pharaoh and Egypt and the oppression and the killing of the, of the male children and all the, all the things that happen. And then God brings about judgment upon Egypt to bring about his salvation for his people. It's best described in that way. But then you think about the cross, right? God pours out his judgment and his wrath upon the cross of Christ for salvation of his people. It's an amazing idea, the day of the Lord. God bringing about salvation of his people through his judgment in the, in the New Testament authors, this is referred to as the end of time, the apocalypse, in which God will make all things new and his judgment will be poured out in bowls of his wrath upon the earth until it is destroyed, but he will save his people to be with him forever. In the new Jerusalem. So here's a couple excerpts for you to understand the day of the Lord. Isaiah 2.12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty. Against all that is lifted up and it shall be brought low. Isaiah 13.9. Behold the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Mm. It's a pretty intense day. The people understood this day when the prophets talked about the day of the Lord. They knew that it was not good for some and for others, it meant God's salvation. Back in the time when Israel was in bondage to Egypt and had been set free, they were to celebrate a day as the day. The day of salvation when God judged Egypt and Pharaoh and saved his people. Exodus 13.3 Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Remember the day of the Lord. Uh, uh, You know, when when we think about baptism, right, we think about going into the waters, death, into the waters of God's judgment and being brought back to life. 
It's the day of the Lord presented in baptism. When you go under the water, you're going through the waters of God's judgment just like Pharaoh went through the waters, but yet Christ is in you and you are saved and brought back to life. You are renewed by the power and the spirit of the living God because of what Christ had done on the cross and his resurrection for you. So you see this day of the Lord, God will act. He will bring about his salvation through judgment. The prophets would then describe this day. What's interesting about Amos is he said Israel will have a day of the Lord. Except the day of the Lord is not only coming against the nations, it's coming against my own people for their wickedness, for their injustice that they have done to my people. And it came, and that's why Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple and Israel gone. The day of the Lord came upon his own people but his salvation would come out of that. But the prophet Obadiah, he's pointing us to a time when all things will be made right. Revelation speaks of this time when for eternity it will be right. Revelation 21.4, he, meaning Christ, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen? <laughs> Amen. But until the day of the Lord comes, we will have times in which the moon doesn't look round. And that's where Obadiah is speaking. We must trust in God's plan. And what would happen, it says that Edom will be decimated and destroyed. Edom, eventually we know throughout history, was destroyed as the Bible predicted. As you know, no one really says, I'm German, I'm Israeli, I'm a Greek, I'm Edomite. You, don't even, you may not even have heard of Edom before, right? No one's flying the flag of Edom. The city of Petra is probably the most famous Edomite city it's in because it was in the Indiana Jones movies. And uh, it's that city in the rock, if you've ever seen it, Petra. And it's in now in Jordan. You can even go see it. But it's, it's completely empty. There's no people there in the city. Look at what Obadiah chapter, verse 3 says. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwellings. That's, that's Petra. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle. Though your nest is set among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And he did. God did wipe away the Edomites. It says uninhabited to this day. And there's another connection to Edom 
that's very interesting in history. The Bible doesn't tell us, but one of the historians, Josephus, at the time of Jesus, tells us that there's a famous descendant of Edom. His name, King Herod. He tries, as you know, the famous story, he tries to kill Jesus. And in the process has all the boys two years old and younger killed in Bethlehem at the time. At that time, right? You're thinking, is God going to fulfill his promises? King Herod is on the throne. Edom is on the throne. The rival to God's plan, Jacob, Israel, the coming king of Israel, Christ. And yet God has a plan amidst it all. We must trust the sovereignty of God. Verse 16, for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. So this idea that they are partying on God's mountain, on Jerusalem, now they will drink, except their drink will be different than the drink that they were drinking on Jerusalem. Their drink will be the drink of the wrath of God. The cup of the wrath of God. This is point number two. God will pour out the cup of his wrath upon sinners. They will drink the cup of God's wrath. And they shall be as though they had never been. The idea is the holy mountain, Jerusalem, the place where God dwells among his people, has been captured by who? By the nations. Those that oppose God are now on top. And yet, Obadiah tells us that that's not how it will end. Jeremiah 25, 15 famously describes this cup of God's wrath and Obadiah is taking from this cup. He says, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So God is, is not only describing this day of the Lord when he brings about justice and righteousness, but he's also describing this day in which the nations will drink this cup of his wrath. His sword is going to come um, against those that are against God and his chosen one. So the day of the Lord, he brings judgment to sinners. The day representing the Passover, which he brings salvation through the Lamb's blood. The day where he pours out the cup of God's wrath. Where do we see this being played out in Scripture? I can see it now when all of these things have been prophesied and studied in the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. 
And as he says, it is finished. The earth quakes. The rocks split into two. The sun grows dark. The temple curtain is torn in two. And the Roman centurion who represents the nations in whom the wrath of God is coming for sees Christ on the cross. And he says, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, Jesus takes the cup of the wrath of God deserved for the nations. For you and for me and says, I will give you salvation, a way of escape. Remember Jesus in the garden when he's sweating and, he's, and he's, he's sweating drops of blood. He's saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is what he's talking about. The cup of God's wrath from Jeremiah and Obadiah is saying, listen, the nations are going to drink this wrath, but yet Jesus took our place. We are deserving of the wrath of God. We are the nations. We are deserving of that. And Jesus takes it upon himself. He drinks it. The full weight of the wrath of God poured out upon Christ on the cross it says, and, that sh- and shall be as though they had never been. He became nothing for you and for me so that we could have a way of escape, that we could be God's people. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy church this is this is us we're Edom we're deserving the wrath of God and yet he loved us once we were not a people once we were completely utterly destroyed headed on the path of destruction and God said no I'm coming for you Verse 17, but in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. There's a way of escape on the mountain of the Lord. And it shall be holy in the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob, those that are in in the blessing of God, those that are in the blessing of Abraham. They shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph, representing the northern part of Israel, Jacob, the south, shall be a flame and the house of Esau, stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. This is our third point this morning. God will save his people. You see, Mount Zion is the city of God, the place where God dwells. The house of Jacob is those who are on the Lord's side. Those who the Lord has called his children. And all things will be made one day right and true 
God will punish those who have rejected him and his chosen one and the gift of salvation and like Esau have turned their back upon Christ. My question to you this morning is, are you in the family of God? Are you a part of the people of God? Because if not, you are a part of Edom. You are a part of Esau. Scripture, the famous scripture, Jacob I have loved, Esau I hated. Why is that? Because Jacob is God's people and Esau represents those who are against God's people. So what can we learn and apply to our life today? Number one, we as a people of God don't have to go looking for vengeance for wrong done to us. Our God is an avenger. Romans 12, 17 says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Proverbs 20, 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. There is freedom to not being someone else's judge, jury, and executioner. When someone has wronged you, you can give them to the Lord fully knowing our God is a good and a just God. And you can entrust the wrongs that have been done against you to our God. Number two, we can be a people ready and waiting for the Lord's return. Boy, it's a wicked world in which we live. It keeps getting more and more wicked every single day. It was a a joy and presence to be among the youth and the adults and the children in in our champs camp because I tell you what, you go out into the world, you do not see that type of love. You do not see that selflessness. But we must be a people that are ready When he returns. The skit this week is, as uh, David mentioned earlier, had two paths. One path was God's way, this way. And one path was your way, this way. The characters, funny looking characters on the screen, they, they came up and they chose to go your way. We all do. Everybody in here has gone your way, right? It's called sin choose our own way. We walk down this path. 
These characters were walking down the path, and as they walk down the path, they realize it's not as fun as they thought. They realize that their sin became burdensome. They became shackled to their sin. And they also realize that the cave of destruction is down the path, and they were getting close to the cave of destruction at the end of the path. The person who set them, told them about this path, was he, we called him the game maker. And he told them, one path leads to destruction, the other path leads to be with me forever on top of the mountain of the Lord. And once you enter into that path, you cannot, once you choose your path, you cannot exit the path. So these, these characters are on this path and they enter, they're at the cave of destruction. They cry out to the Lord. And he comes down, the way maker comes down and he takes their place on the path. He unshackles their chains. He takes their burdens upon himself, puts the chains on him and he enters into the cave of destruction. And now they're free to leave this path because he has taken the path for them. Obadiah is a lot like this. Obadiah saying, listen, church, one day all things will be made right. The people who have chosen their way, who have rejected me, they will get what's coming for them those who have chosen to believe upon Christ for salvation, they will enter God's path and will be with me for eternity. God has provided a way of escape upon the mountain of the Lord. Will you choose to enter God's path? Will you choose to enter his plan salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this this time together as we look at the book of Obadiah. We look at our world in which we live. We see all of the problems in our world and we see the issues that we face are not so different than the day of Obadiah. And yet we trust in your plan We trust, Father, that you will bring about your salvation for your people. Father, we know that the day of the Lord nears. And Father, we pray that our church and our people would be ready. That we would be on our journey up the mountain to be with the Lord forever. That we would prepare our hearts to be with him. That we would spend every single day that we have here on this earth calling out people who are on the way to destruction and saying, no, the Lord has a better plan for your life. Look at what he has done on the cross. Look how he has taken your sin and your shame 
upon himself, bringing you freedom. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not believed upon Christ for salvation, may they call out to your name. As the scripture and the minor prophets have said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, may we call out to you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole being, that we would walk humbly with our God on the path of escape to the mountain of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.